It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. Hello, welcome to another episode of Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with the captain, Guy Moldcaster, your host Gareth Hall with you as well. And it's been another big week in the sport of thoroughbred racing, both on the track and also in uh, the Bloodstock game. And let's welcome in the captain, Guy Moldcaster. Hello to you. Good morning, Gareth, and how are you? Well, I really shouldn't even ask how you are right. after the West smashed them on Saturday at Flemington, and it's all uh, all roads lead to the Everest for you now, is it? No, I think she's going to the Cox Plate. Well, there you go. Where, would you, where would you go with Amelia's Jewel? Hey, I have no say, but I know one thing. I wouldn't be taking Damien Lane off. He gave her an absolute peach of a ride on Saturday. He is a superstar. See, the WA, the WA fraternity stick together. Peter Walsh, of course, a WA, a WA boy. Um, I think where his farm is at Amelia Park, Damien Lane was born just down the road. And then you've got Simon Miller, who's a, an adopted Western Australian. So she's exciting, mate. I had this argument with a few of my colleagues on Monday. And sometimes, like, when you when you're trying to predict the future, which you you do better than anyone, that's why you're the number one bloodstock agent in the country, is that like Mr. Brightside's a star and he's he's been the superstar of the spring so far. But if you had to give me one horse right now for the spring, it would be Amelia's jewel because I think she just does what she has to do, guy. I, I think she's a a special a special thoroughbred. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was very good placement by Miller. On Saturday, she had ended up having a no-nonsense sort of race. She didn't really have to exert herself too much. It means she can bounce into a next run without having to, having a too tough a run the other day. Yeah. So she she either goes to the King Charles, or the and then and then to the Golden Eagle, or to the Turak, and then to the Cox Plate. So that's the decision that they're weighing up. Which way would you go, Captain? Um, either or, you know, like. The grand finals in both sections are going to be amazing, but I do think that they need to be very mindful of preparing these very hard tracks because it's taking effect on some horses. It's a terribly long spring, and I think they need to be a little bit generous with putting a little bit of cushion into the track to give the horses the best chance to bounce out of it and get all the way till the middle of November when the carnival finishes. Yeah, it's a long carnival, isn't it? amazingly long carnival and then you've got Perth after that and there's a number of horses that want to go to the Hong Kong International so we have to be really mindful of making sure they can stand up and uh, have have nice juicy tracks to give them a chance so they don't have uh, jarring up issues and even worse. There's plenty on the agenda today for the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast with the captain Guy Moldcaster and Gareth Hall of course. Your favourite girl, Winx, she'll dominate conversation. Sebastian Hutch, the CEO of English Bloodstock, will join us shortly to talk about, this has been a wonderful get from Inglis, to get Winx's first ever, no, no, it's a filly as well by Piero that they will be selling at the Easter sales next year. So looking forward to catching up with Sebastian. We'll have a chat 
um, about some of the big stories, of course, what's happening in the Bloodstock game. There's sales all around the world at the moment, and we'll recap a big weekend of racing and what we've got to look forward to as well. But this week's first foal, um, I couldn't believe it when I was reading the, the news when it broke that the owners have decided to to sell. Um, maybe if it was a cold, I might have understood a little bit better, but a Philly guy. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's the prerogative of the owners. I've obviously sat down and discussed it amongst themselves, and this is the best remedy they've come up with, you know. Like, she's a nice Philly, uh, longer sort of Philly. Uh, being by Piero, I think she'll be suited at the English Easter sale, and uh, I'm sure the market will appreciate having her there. This man, they tell me, dominated the golf course for the English Golf Day yesterday, Guy. It was like, but I, I was ringing up just to see if I could get any dirt on any of the golfers because I wanted some dirt on you, but it was like Tiger Woods not turning up to the Masters with your non-appearance there yesterday at the Golf Day. Sebastian Hutch, the CEO of English, joins us for the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast. Of course, we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. Good morning to you, Sebastian. Thanks for your time, mate. Morning, Gareth. Morning, Guy. I just aspire to be as good a golfer as Guy Mulcaster. I don't think I'll ever get there, but that's what I aspire to. I find that hard to believe that you're a good golfer, Guy. Can you explain that to us? I've got a good handicap, Gareth, and it works in my favour sometimes. <laughs> do, do you bet when you play golf? Do you bet when you go to the races? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would hate to be... I think there'd be a few stewards inquiring with you trying to pull yourself up with the, the handicap um, these days, Guy. Uh, it's only a rod if you're not in it, Kara. <laughs> um, how was the golf day, Sebastian? Yeah, good. I'm, I'm not much good at golf, so I'd, uh, I'd much rather just walk around the course and engage with any of the interactions as we went along. But no, it was very enjoyable. It was a beautiful day in Sydney and everybody had a good time, I think. Um, it's been a big week, mate, for, for Inglis because you've been able to um, get this filly by Piero out of the one of the all-time greats in, in, in Winks and, and sell her first foal. Have you been yeah. over, have you been overwhelmed with the, the response, not just from the, the racing public, but the, um, the Australian um, sporting public uh, um, since you've broken the news? It was probably just a good reminder about of how popular this race mare was or popular racehorse she was. I mean, not to say that you take it for granted. I mean, she graced Australian racing for four or five seasons and it was really fantastic. But, you know, racing moves on, but this was just an opportunity to remind everybody of how good she was. Um, and clearly everybody's very enthusiastic and very excited about what's going to happen next April. It's going to make for a great spectacle and, you know, ultimately, I think we're all just hoping that the mare can go on and be a good broodmare. What do you think will happen, Guy? How much do you think she'll go for? Should I, should I start to organise my syndicate right now? Uh, the thing is, I think when you're dealing with a product like this, I think you'll find that uh, the international market will be appealing to this filly. Uh, I think you start at V next year, Sebastian. So W, you won't have to wait long for the foal to go through, the yearling to go through. So... I'd expect it to be a couple of hours into the sale, which will make for a really good start to the English Easter sale. Now, V is classic, guys, so she's actually going to be a little way into the sale. She's going to be after lunch on the second day. 
Oh, well, there you go. You've worked it out all to suit yourselves. Yeah, it's, 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 worked out. it's worked out very conveniently. So sale starts on a Sunday and she'll sell after, likely sell after lunch on the Monday. So the timing is really fantastic. Like it'll, if... it'll, it'll see the sale build to, or build to a crescendo really nicely. And, you know, I think, um, as Guy said, it's going to get a lot of people engaged in the sale. Like it's going to generate a lot of interest. You know, this is the sort of horse that appeals to major international investors as well as domestic investors, and it'll just be a fascinating thing to observe to see who actually looks to looks to pursue her. So, Guy, did it surprise you that they were selling this filly, or did you think there was a strong chance that this might happen? Uh, it, was, it could have gone either way, but I think, you know, probably the best way is to let the market decide the value of the filly, and I'm sure with, with a filly like her being by Piero with a huge pedigree that you're going to get the people like the Yoshidas and the major American investors and there could even be a number of new players coming in to look at something like this as a foundation broodmare for their new Brent broodmare band. Mm. Um, have you worked out what type of money that you think she'll get? Sebastian, can she smash the record come Easter next year? Uh, honestly, Gareth, we haven't really thought about it. Um, you know, generally what tends to happen with these kind of things is the market decides what they're worth and they make what they're worth independent of what anybody thinks they could or should make pre-sale. Auctions are emotional things, as Guy will know. You know, you get into the cut and thrust of an auction, it can be very hard to rationalize what's happening sometimes. You know, people develop a, just develop a sense that they want to own something, want to buy something and, you know, don't necessarily bid to structure or bid to budget and, you know, that's a very real possibility of happening with a filly like this. You know, you get into, she gets into the ring and people start bidding and never really know what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the fun of it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an emotional sport and it's why people enjoy it so much. So sitting here today, trying to rationalize something that'll happen next April is a tricky thing to do. And Vegas showgirl, that's her grandmother, the, the mother of Winks, guys, she's starting to hit her straps. Well, she produced Winks, so she's done enough. But time of my life, named after you for Peter Moody, she was ultra impressive there at Geelong on Friday. Peter Moody says she's she's a black type type of filly as well. So that that timing of her victory, I think, came perfect, really, for the owners of Winks when they decided to announce that they're going to sell her first filly. Yeah, no, I you've, think, got to, uh, you've got to put Garrett straight here. He's got a real perception of how you live life as a bloodstock agent here. I'm just not sure he's got the right idea. Uh, we just let Gareth go along with what he does, Sebastian, yeah. uh, and don't don't uh, put out his fire too much. You know, like it's it's basically his show, and we have to bow and scrape to what he thinks. And you know, if you say anything bad against Perth, he just pushes the red oh, button. Here we go. <laughs> so, um. Captain, that's a good point that Sebastian Hutch makes um, points out. Like, he says that your job as a bloodstock agent is um, needs a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work, a lot of time away from home. I'm thinking just from an observer that you've got the dream life. You get to entertain guests every time you want. You get to work closely with the, the best trainer that we've seen, maybe the greatest of all time in Chris Waller. Um, you get to travel the world. I've seen you in the UK. You you got a penthouse on the Gold Coast, a penthouse at Mayfair. What else would you want in life? Free tickets to Ascot. You're in the Royal Box whenever you want. 
<laughs> well, Gareth, you know, uh, I'm sure we can probably put you on as a junior advisor. <laughs> uh, you're going to have to have your runners on. You're going to have to be dedicated to your task and you have to answer yes, sir, every time I ask you to do a job. In, in all seriousness, Sebastian, is there a chance that maybe, because we get a few emails from this podcast um, and like nearly every second week we get someone asked, how do you get into being a bloodstock agent? Do you think that there's a a a a um a program that racing can put together, maybe Inglis or one of the racing bodies, and uh, have a bloodstock type? And you might already have one, but like an apprentice or a, a school that you could go to to become a bloodstock agent. Yeah, Inglis actually runs an internship. Gareth, we're actually we interviewed the final two candidates for the internship last week. We're probably going to decide who the candidate is today. Yeah, um, but there are lots of lots of different things that people can do. Like guys always had an assistant through the years, developed plenty of people. Like Evan Smith was an assistant to guy at one stage, a number of other people. Like I think you find that practical experience is the best way to learn in this sport, and you know, getting your getting your hands dirty and getting to the cold face and really starting to learn, understand what goes on whether it's on the farms or at the sales or in training stables. I mean, I think Guy will attest to that. And people are generally very generous with their time. I mean, mm. like you look at programs like the Godolphin Flying Start. I mean, that's been an unbelievable contributor to the industry. Uh, there are loads of uh, different programs, whether it's run by the TBA or TIC. Um, Silverdale have an internship program where they're looking to develop staff on farms. There are a lot of people doing lots of different things. I mean, there probably could be more done, but uh, I think the people who are invested in it are working hard to try and generate and progress new people as best they can. I think we should have the Guy Molska, Guy Molcaster Scholarship guy. Uh, and are you seeing going to put the money up for it, Gareth? 100%. 100%. <laughs> we would have... Imagine all, imagine all the applications that will be rolling in. My only concern is you making sure that you're available for your own scholarship. Um, <laughs> now... You've got your ready uh, to race sale coming up on Tuesday, October 10, which is just around the corner, basically. So the breeze up to this week, Sebastian, um, which is exciting, yeah, both at Seymour and Cambridge. Yeah, so the Seymour and Cambridge breeze is on Monday and Hawkesbury, the Hawkesbury breeze yep. on Friday afternoon or on Friday, actually all day Friday, over 100 horses breezing on Friday. And that's a sale that, you know, it's it had traditionally been a, market dominated by international investors, you know, particularly Hong Kong and Singapore, but uh, local investors have done or been more and more successful with it in recent years. Like Libertad goes to the Golden Rose on Saturday with a big chance. He's a graduate of the Ready to Race sale two days ago, or two years ago, sorry. Robbie Griffiths, a very impressive winner. At, um, he was Bendigo last Thursday called Verdad. Yep. By Justify on debut, he's going to the Stott, potentially, um, some really nice races through the spring. He was a graduate of the sale last year. So it's a sale with nice momentum, and we've got the best group of stallions representing the catalogue that we've ever had before. You know, lots of the nice young stallions, Justify, Blue Point, uh, Yes, 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 The Autumn Sun. I mean, all these nice young stallions, Harry Angel, and then probably a stronger group of proven stallions than what we've had, Zoo Star, I'm Invincible, Written Tycoon, Etc. Etc. So it's going to be look. It's going to be an interesting sale and a good opportunity for people to to look to try and find another nice horse. 
And they tell me you've been out and about looking at about 4,000 yearlings in preparation for the Premier Classic and, of course, the, the Easter sales. Um, do you, I reckon that would be a fun job, trying to identify which which yearlings that you want these days. And in such a competitive market, you need to to sell yourself in a way, English, to make sure that these horses go to your sale. That is very interesting. Like, it's really interesting getting to know how different people raise the horses and what techniques people use, uh, whether it's in terms of the management of the horses themselves or, you know, the effort that goes into developing or identifying the right matings for particular mares, what stallions people feel are going to be the stallions that are those important horses in years to come. You know, it's a speculative job, uh, breeding horses. So it's interesting for us to be part of that. And then the ultimate test is when uh, yearlings end up on the complex in February, March and April. And hopefully we get a good round of sales again in 2024. Well, it's exciting, mate. Can't wait for the the next um few months anyway to um, unfold and we get to see the catalogues of course Easter doesn't come out to the early part of, of next year but this filly I've already saved my pennies guy I'm ready to go her daughter of Piero um, we'll take on Mr. Jang and the like and we'll see if we can get her for 5.5 million dollars Sebastian says he's giving giving us 90 days so that's all we need <laughs> <laughs> you um, can't get you won't get it in 90 yeah. Hey, Sebastian, <laughs> c- congratulations. It is exciting and um, it's going to be some build-up and um, looking forward to seeing what she can produce. So the sales start on Sunday, do they, next year? Yeah, we're starting on Sunday next year. So um, not to say it's unprecedented. The sale has started on a Sunday in the past, but it'll be the first time in a long time that it's started on a Sunday. All right, mate. We'll, well so done. We'll, with... sell, we'll, sell, we'll sell Sunday, Monday, so it'll be... Um, It'll be a hectic weekend with yep. I mean, it's four group ones on the Saturday at Randwick and then into the sale Sunday and Monday. So it'll be um, it'll be a busy 72 hours. Well, we appreciate your time. Well done with the golf day yesterday as well. Mail is everybody had a lot of fun, even though the guy Moldcaster didn't turn up. But we appreciate your time here on the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast. Thanks, Gareth. Appreciate it. Guy, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Sebastian. Thanks for coming on. There's Sebastian Hutch, the CEO of English Bloodstock. So it is exciting, and obviously she's close to your heart. You purchased Winks for $230,000. She went on to be the greatest horse we've seen, definitely in the 21st century guy. And um, now she gets to show off her progeny and see if she can become a superstar broodmare. And her own mum, Vegas Showgirl, as I mentioned before, has started to continue on her um, success as a broodmare because, geez, I like Peter Moody's I'm Invincible filly there the other day, time of my life. Did you see her? I thought she was ultra impressive there at Geelong. Yeah, I thought she was very good, Gareth. You know, like Moody's has just taken her along nice and quietly. It was a decent sort of maiden and she made, made mincemeat of them really. So I'm looking forward to seeing her run over the carnival in Melbourne. So how would have that have worked? I didn't want to put Sebastian on the spot, but – Obviously, she was sold out of Magic Millions, the Philly um, Winks, and you purchased her at Magic Millions. So how did they – so Magic Millions, I would have been trying to campaign strongly to try and get her for the, this Philly by Piero at their sales in January, but it was Easter in English that won out. So um, would they have thought about going to Magic Millions, um, the owners of Winks, to sell their Philly? 
yeah, it probably comes down to the filly herself. Um, maybe maybe because she is a little bit of a a later maturing type of filly that given the extra three months, it would have suited her better to be sold at uh, Easter, Easter, uh, Easter sale as well. Okay. Uh, and I think they would have had uh, a little bit of uh, toing and froing with the stud farm that are preparing her as well. They would have okay. been putting their two cents worth to decide what was the best sale to suit the filly. Can they go, when you've got a filly like this, can you go and negotiate with the sales company and try and get a better deal, say your percentage that comes out um, out of the sale because of like what this has done for English, this has been, um, you can't buy this type of marketing guy. Oh, it's irrelevant really. You're, you're dealing with a little percentage that you have to pay to have the, have the fully yeah. marketed. Whereas you're dealing with a big, big amount of money, what somebody might pay for it. And, I think giving the filly the extra time will, will be uh fruit fruit uh, more from her later on, you yeah. know. No, it is going to be interesting to see what she can produce there at that English Easter sale. Um, so Monday just after lunchtime, we'll have to wait, guy. But it'll be worth yeah. the wait. The anticipation will be unbelievable. And a Sunday start. I remember last year everyone was hung over from the races. So like and it was a difficult it was a difficult um there's an effort to get up in the morning to get to the sales for inspection there on a Sunday. And everyone did a lot of inspection and what do they call it? Moving day in a way there on the Sunday before the sales start on the Monday. But now wouldn't everybody be at the races on the Saturday? Uh, the horses have been there basically yep. for a week. All the work's sort of done by Friday anyway. So I think it's actually a very good move by English to sell the horses from Sunday on because Sunday normally is a bit of a dead day you know people have got their lists have had their vettings done they've spoken to their clients and they're just waiting for the sale to start so kicking off on sunday is going to be a big positive we'll take our first break this is the breeding bloodstock and banter podcast with the captain guy moldcaster gareth all with you and it's for palaley one who won the group two roman consul in the faster time then exceed in excel fast net rock suster and russian revolution we'll come back with plenty more straight after this You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the Captain. Welcome back to the Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter podcast with the Captain Guy Molecaster, Gareth Hall with you. Geez, Mr. Brightside, the son of Bullbar's just done it again. He keeps on turning up on the big stage, Guy, and that was a sensational Group 1 victory in the Maccabi Diva. He's just in the zone at the moment. Um, he's going to be awfully hard to beat in a King Charles yeah, like three starts, three wins for the new preparation. Incredibly well ridden by Craig Williams. Uh, I think the field had plenty of depth, and uh, I'm looking forward to some of the others stepping out over a bit further and Mr. Brightside coming to Sydney. I'm not quite sure he'll have it his own way in Sydney, but yep. uh, we'll see in a couple of weeks. It was interesting with the hoop. Craig Williams, he, he, he rode Mr. Brightside, an absolute dead set treat there on Saturday and he gets on so well with his horse and he bounced back after a tough week because he got sacked off Giga Kick. Um, Jonathan Munns and Rocket Douglas decided that his ride was, it was too poor for, for, for them to keep him on in the McEwen Stakes. What did you make of all of that? A little bit of drama and theatre in the sport of thoroughbred racing last week there, Guy? Yeah, I think this has been played to death, Gareth. So we'll just turn the page and get on to something a bit more interesting. 
Amelia's, Amelia's jewel, of course, by Sayuni. It was interesting. Peter Walsh was telling me, and he tweeted, by the way, uh, um, as she was about to start there in the Let's Elope there at Flemington over the 1,400 metres guy, um, Sayuni was covering um, Bumbelina once again, of course, the the broodmare to Amelia's jewel. So they've already got a full brother on the ground. Um and uh, Peter Walsh has gone back to Sayuni. So um, he's sticking with this wonderful stallion. Yeah, it makes sense to get a full relative to the filly. And uh, and Sayuni's just an amazing stallion. So I'm sure he's going to do very well out of it. Bombasina, of course, is the broodmare. And this is some story. I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Guy, but Peter Walsh went on a tour to Europe with Darren McCauley, and who's the, the broadcaster there in WA. And he didn't really want to go on. Annie, his beautiful wife, had to really um, force him in a way, a lot of persuasion to, to get Peter to go to an Ascot type of tour. And while they were over there in the, in Europe, they went on a couple of stud visits. And Kingman was one of the first horses that well, she fell in love with. And in the end, he loved the trip. And then he met Sayuni. So he told his bloodstock agent that, he wants to breed a couple that go and, go and buy me a few broodmares and I'm going to go to Kingman and Sayuni. And one of the, the broodmares that he purchased was um, Bumbasina and uh, they went to Sayuni and then the rest is history that produced Amelia's Jewel. So he, he didn't want to go on a tour. He was forced to go on a tour by his wife and then he fell in love with a couple of stallions. He purchased broodmares while he was over in Europe he bred to Kingman and Sayuni. I think he sold the Kingman cult for six or $700,000. And then Amelia's jewels being produced. So he's probably, that trip would have cost Bolshe, I don't know, 100000 He would have flew first class, but he's probably made $10 million from, from from that adventure. Yeah, no, I think that's good for the breeding industry and for Australians to be able to bring different blood back to the country. So good on him. And it would have been interesting as well because... You were looking in the form guide and there was a Sayuni filly going around at, at Ascot in WA, which you wouldn't see on too many occasions. In fact, she probably was the first Sayuni that competed in in WA alongside the playing guides, their guy. Yeah. yeah, well, the thing is he never stood down here and it's only, you know, so to, for someone to breed the Southern Hemisphere to an emerging stallion and bring the progeny back here, it was definitely a first. Yeah, geez, Kerry Parker can take a bow for the job that he did with Think It Over, the son of So You Think, who um, took out the first ever running of the seven stakes. But just talk us through the job that he's done to get a horse like him back from a serious tendon injury. Yeah, well, it's pretty hard, Gareth. Most horses don't come back. His two runs had been more than satisfactory leading up to Saturday. And to be fair, he did look like he was going to struggle to get Zaki. But Nashville is in absolute form of his life. And he bullied him over the line and he got the job done. And congratulations to Kerry Parker and his team. So think it over was really good. Zaki, is there another big race in him? Or do you think that was his opportunity when he shot clear at the furlong there on Saturday? I don't think you'd, you'd never say never with those horses like he's he keeps bouncing back every preparation, and I'm sure there'll be a race somewhere during the carnival where there's just a little bit more juice in the track that'll probably suit him better than uh, and impede some of the others, and I think that'll be his chance to get another big race. The Everest is taking shape slowly. Private Eye, he's one of the most fascinating horses that I've ever come across, 
Joe Pride's done a terrific job with him, but I remember watching him back in the day where he couldn't keep up over a mile. Um, and he's, and then all of a sudden he just changed and, and Joe's mentioned this. He just changed, changes his mindset. And then I watched him in the yard on Saturday and he was like a two-year-old colt ready to go. He was like a, a UFC fighter ready to go into that ring. And, um, he produced a wonderful effort. So he, he's been booked and locked up in the Everest. Um, Max Whitby and Neil Warrett have been able to, do, to, to do a deal with the connections, um, so he gets his chance to go one better this year, guy. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's fair juice to the Walter team and proven thoroughbreds to have two runners in the race and think about it. And uh, Private Eye both got amazing chances, but even in behind those horses, there there was a couple of pretty good runs. Bonus Notchus was good. Overpass was good. Lost and running didn't have any luck. So I think there's still a couple more horses out of that race to end up in the Everest. And I think it's going to be a very, very even Everest. I don't think it's just down to the two or three market leaders. It's And it's an interesting Everest this year as well, because you've got horses at the top of the market. And I'd be fascinated to get your thoughts on this. You've got a So You Think and Think About It. You've got a Savva Bill um, with I Wish I Win. Um, and Al Mahar in private eye, you get a lot of these horses that could be set for a mile group one race. Yeah, but I think, um, you know, I think people do try to pigeonhole the pedigrees a little bit. And yep. private eye is a great example. He was a miler and he ran out even a little bit further than a mile as an early horse. But Joe identified that he'd be a much better sprinter and he's trained him to be a sprinter. And he's uh, he's been absolutely amazing since he's come back and tripped. So if the the Everest is starting to take shape, what would you do if you were the Arrowfield team in the Star Casino with Marzu? I did. Th- I thought he had no luck there, really, off a slow tempo from that white gate. Um, but would you still be concerned with him heading into an Everest because they locked him up nice and early, of course? Uh, he's performed before Gareth. I mean, if you lock him up early, you got to take the good with the bad. You know, like they probably got a good deal to benefit themselves and. And if they've taken them, they've got to stick with them. Yep. Then you've got, um, so think about it's locked up by Newgate. Yearlong will probably go with alcohol free if she continues to impress. Shinzo with Coolmore, Sunshine and Paris Aquas, In Secret, probably Godolphin. If Cylinder wins the Golden Rose, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Giga Kick, James Harron. I wish I win trackside. The ATC and the Tab has still got to make their move. And you've ruled out Imperatrice. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next week. And Chris Waller had a chat to Peter Ty. They've got their short list and uh, they'll make a decision probably in the next week. But listening to Chris and talking to Peter, I think they might be trying to go down the, the line of a three-year-old and try and do what they did with a horse like a yes, yes, yes guy. Uh, I think you'll find yes, yes, yes was in Coolmore slot, wasn't he? Um, I thought he, no, he was with Chris Waller. He was trained by Chris Waller, but I thought he ran in Coolmore's spot. No, he was purchased by Coolmore after uh, that. Yep. Right. I was wrong. Uh, well, that, yeah, wait a sec, that was the first time you've ever been wrong. Well, at least I admit my, my mistake. <laughs> so, so right now, who do you want to be with in the Everest? Uh... I think I'll sit and wait. I don't have to bet till the day, Gareth. That's a good point you make. Tis Invincible. She took out the T-Rose there on Saturday. She goes to the flight stakes, a daughter of I'm Invincible. Um, she's just got an electric turn of foot. 
she can sit off a slow pace and just be too strong for her rivals like she's shown in the last couple of starts. And she's going to be awfully hard to beat in a race like a, a flight stake, stepping up to the 1,600 metres guy. Or do you think that a few of the other fillies can come back to her up in trip? I tend to find in these sort of fillies series, the best one's the best one. And she's kept improving every race. The others have always threatened that they wanted to go up and trip and be harder to beat, but I'm starting to doubt it now. I think the best filly will keep winning, and she is obviously the best filly. Um, Trapeze Artist keeps on doing a, a good job. He had his first stakes winning with Griff there on Saturday, and the expert played. It was a terrific turn of foot. Archer Nacho's an interesting one. Um, he was at Rosemont Stud. He was purchased by Matty Laurie for $10,000 as a weanling because Rosemont thought that he was an Anthony Myth and thought he was just a little too small guy. Um, it's I, been one, one hell know, of a buy. Good things come in small packages, Gareth. He's uh, He did a really good job there at Flemington, and I think it's onwards and upwards towards the Coolmore for that horse. So he goes to the Coolmore, he's a galloting. What kind of offers do you think they would be? They've already knocked back an offer for Hong Kong, but what kind of offers would they be getting? Uh, I don't know. It's... You know, it's a crystal ball sort of stuff. You get you get a bloke with a big permit, pays what he needs to pay. I think if you say the horse is a little bit on the smaller side, it probably impe impedes them a little bit in Hong Kong because they basically race at weight for age or serious handicaps where the top weight's 62 and a half or 63 kilos. So the smaller horses are absolutely uh, disadvantaged over there in Hong Kong when it comes to those sort of racing. So... Uh, you can talk about getting offers a lot of the time, but it's not until the money goes in the bank that the deal's done. Yeah, and the Golden Rose is the group $1 million race there for the three-year-olds. It's the feature three-year-old race for for the Sydney Spring, in my eyes anyway. Millard's Horizon a done deal. Shinzo a schnitzel. Cylinders in Exceed and Excel for Godolphin. A Kingman, for um, which is um, King Colorado's, Old man or son, I should say. The Extreme Choice, the Don Corleone. Libertad by Russian Revolution. Another schnitzel with Moravia. Encaps, a capitalist. Butch Cassidy, a written tycoon. And then the Extravagant, which is the horse that's side Nadal. Who wins the golden race? It's a brilliant addition for this year's race. Well, it saved me having to buy the paper this week. Gareth, you've read out the whole field. I'm just I'm just fascinated by the, the um, size that are represented in this race. Charm Stone, I'm Invincible, the filly down the bottom. is drawn gate number one. Um, I, I think Cylinder will win. Guy, there's your tip. Just get on him. Well, that's good. Uh, I think it's a very even race. I think it's going to come to bat, down to barriers and and tempo and that sort of thing. But, I mean, we've got Ryan Moore. We've got Joe Maria riding in the race against the good Aussie jockeys. So, it's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, I don't really have an opinion just at the moment, but... I do think that Cylinder's going to be hard to beat. He came back into good form the other day, but I think it's going to be a pretty even race. This is the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast with the Captain Go Molecaster. We'll take a quick break. On the other side of it, we'll go through these first season sires with these two-year-olds that stepped out for those first trials in Sydney on Monday. And Mike Kneebone from New Zealand Bloodstock's not far away as well. Don't go anywhere. It's great to have your company this week on the Breeding Bloodstock and a banter podcast. And Rebel Dane, statistics don't lie. Upgrade your mare. Sire of the champion, two-year-old filly. Fireburn, winner of the Group 1 Golden Slipper and Sire's Produce. You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the Captain.
Back to the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast with the one and the only Guy Moldcaster, Gareth Hall with you. The first season sires were on show and they, I think they starred there on the Kensington track for the first two-year-old trials of the season, Guy. It's always exciting. These horses um, trial and then if they perform well, they'll be set for the Group 3 Breeders Plate and the Group 3 Gym Crack, which are the first of the two-year-old races in town um, for the season. Um, do you enjoy these type of days to the, the see these two-year-olds for the first time? Yeah, the trials are really good on Monday. And I think Jackson will be the most excited man in Australia after seeing his Blue Point horse, basically, that was the trial of the day from Kieran Mars stable. Yeah, a Blue Point. So he continues to shine. I think there was a half to Amelia's Jewel, the Bumbelina Blue Point, who couldn't keep up. Um, but I think Connections expected will get over more of a trip as well. So Blue Point looks like he's going to be the star because he's been dominating in Europe as well. Too darn hot, Pierrata. It's important, I think, that Pierrata stands up, especially for you, Long. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I mean, he wasn't he wasn't a first day horse, so you know, I don't think you judge on too much before Christmas. All right, then. To sword and brutal also had some of those uh, two year olds that jump out, so we get to see them for the first time. It is interesting. Back to Pierrata, he's with you, Long. Um, with all the broomers that they've purchased. And I know Written Tycoon, what is he, 21 these days? So they're, yep. they're like, how important, guys, is it for them to have you long and then probably a Pierrata or another stone really put their hand up to to um, say that they are a, a genuine um, or heading towards an A-grade stone, especially for the, the brilliant um, brilliant band of broodmares that, that, that they've now got. Yeah, you got to remember though, Gareth. They didn't buy him until after his first season. Yeah. So the progeny that they've bred to him is going to come out a little bit later. So the, these ones that we're going to see now are from when he stood at Aquas, and I think he still had a pretty good amount of broodmares then, good quality. And the way they sold at the sales this year, I'd be expecting to see some pretty nice two-year-olds after Christmas by Pierrata. Scampi's raced by Colin McKenna. And Robert Crabtree as well. So some heavy hitters in that particular galloper by Blue Point. Um, I think, as you pointed out, he was the star of the show there, Guy. I think he was the one, if you wanted to take one home, it would be him. Yeah, I think when you're watching these trials, Gareth, you're looking for a horse that's basically pretty natural. Yeah, He did it all under his own steam. Jason Collett's normally a pretty conservative rider. He wandered across from an outside barrier. He basically controlled the tempo and he won untouched. Um, when, you're, when you're watching these trials, you're looking for a horse that can do it under their own volition rather than a horse that's been uh, educated to run as fast as it can over 800 metres. And Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott had a day out. If you can have a day out at the trials, um, they had seven wins. And uh, the Stonens also had a pretty successful day producing their two-year-old. So it's an exciting time looking forward to the two-year-old season kicking off guy. Um, have you got any two year olds that you purchased their last sales season that excite you that you can give us a little bit of a leg up to, or do we, or do we, or do we have to wait and see? Well, basically Gareth, it's up to the bloke that's paying the training fees to have the first lick at it. You know, yes. I can't be dishing it out to your listeners, but we do have a couple of very exciting two year olds coming through and they're not even by stallions you've mentioned. So okay. hold the phone. Wait for three weeks, and once I've tried, I'll let you know about them. And it's not my show. It's breeding 
um, Bloodstock and Banter with the captain, Guy Moldcaster. So you can't forget that guy. Let's take a break. Mike Kneebone and Jackson France not far away. You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. Welcome back to the Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter podcast. Gareth Hall with you on this Wednesday morning when we are recording this podcast. And let's catch up with the New Zealand Bloodstocks, Mike Kneebone, who joins us on the line, Mike. Hello to you. It's been another big week. Mr. Brightside continues to fly the banner for New Zealand Bloodstock. He just keeps on winning Group 1s, this son of Bull Bars. Um, what a what a gem he is. He is. He's been a real find, um, hasn't he, of the last couple of seasons for uh, for the Hazers and, and everyone else. And, um, you know, I suppose it's one of those horses that puts a spotlight on the... Um, on the uh, value of a of a good Kiwi bred, if you can get one, and um, he's certainly, as you say, flying the flag for us at the moment, and um, looking forward to a big spring. Now, tell us a little bit about your association with a few of the Australian clubs. Um, I know that you've got a, a great association with Newcastle um, and Canberra as well, but you've also teamed up with Cranbourne. Is that because Tiako Racing have headed there? No, definitely not. I mean, that's probably their luck more than ours. But um, no, we've been with Cranbourne for um, oh, probably at least five or six years. I think we um, we sort of moved our, our sponsorship away from the Mempsey uh, about that time and we're looking for something else and, and um, headed towards uh, one of the provincial tracks and, and teamed up with Cranbourne and they do an amazing job. We, we've got a great association with them and mainly it um, evolves around the, um, the trials and, and jump outs day um, where New Zealand Bloodstock logo and... Um, all our all our um, naming rights are on those um, trials and jump outs, so you see them every time um, you watch a, a replay, or if anybody's on the track as well. Um, be nice if they actually called the trials down there as well at, at Melbourne. It'd even really yeah. make it even better. But I think that's something that they probably will be working on. But um, our sponsorship there goes really good, and and um, as you say, we've got a great association with them. Guy doesn't like to get too controversial on this show, but um, you do bring up a, a wonderful point. Victoria got a long way to go against Sydney when it comes to trial coverage. Um, it was sensational there on Monday. Poor old Victoria Racing.com. They need to probably lift their game a little bit with their trial coverage. Um, but you'll be back at Newcastle, mate, on November 18 because uh, you're the major sponsors of their, their Hunter meeting, which is worth a million dollars. Yeah, well, that's another race meeting that we've um, been involved with or, or racing club that we've been involved with for a long time. And um, the, the race day that, that we've always had has had the spring champion stakes on on the same day. And um, it's now a $200,000 race. But um, since then, it's become a standalone meeting and um, the Hunters run on the same day, which is the, the million-dollar race. And um, I we, we sponsor, I think, seven races on the card. Um, the Max Lees, two-year-olds on that day. Uh, the Spring Champions that I just mentioned. And um, we have a Legends race, which we have a new um, Nova Castrian each year. This year it's going to be um, Kurt Fernley, um, the, the uh, Paralympian. So they come along to the races. And look, 
they just do a fantastic job. Um, the Hunter um, Club there at uh, Newcastle, and, and we we love being a part of it. And Captain, you know, we have the Alf Kneebone Trans Tasman Memorial there as well, and uh, Major Beal won that race uh, two years ago for Chris Waller, and um, that sort of set that race in stone. It's a it's a massive day. Well, Mike, we appreciate your time, mate. That um, ready for run sales not far away as well. So um, I've had a good look at that catalogue and I, I think that um, I've found my, my lucky swayness. So I'm ready to go. No worries. Well, um, you better let everybody know that then when you've found that one, Gareth. Yeah, well, and, uh, I'll, good, I'll keep it under my hat. I don't, want anyone to, I don't want anyone to bid me up, Mike. <laughs> Thanks for your time. <laughs> Thanks for your time, mate. No worries. Thanks to Mike Nebo, and they're always great to catch up with Mike. What a superstar he is. Jackson, France, hello to you. Morning, Gareth. Morning, Captain. How are you going? Oh, we're well. Uh, Jackson, how are you? I'm going great, guy. Now, how's your filly? Yeah, she's come along really well. She's around the six-week mark now. So with the way Blue Point's going and the way Scampi trialled up there on Monday, it's uh, very exciting. So hopefully he can come out and win a Group 3 breeder's plate and that will only bode well for my filly moving forward towards the sales seasons in a, a year or so. Increase your insurance, Jackson. Increase your insurance. Oh, um, I'll take it out. It's expensive enough as it is, the insurance. There's all these little yep. extras I didn't think of when I tried to have a crack at it. So we're learning the hard way. But um, I'm sure it'll all be worthwhile. Yeah, well, if you do it through me, I can get you a little rebate on your insurance. <laughs> I'll be in touch, guy. <laughs> um, what questions have we got for the captain today? Yeah, so we've got four that have come through from our loyal listeners. And Mitch, he's often very active here on the Breeding Bloodstock and Banner podcast. And he's got two questions for the captain. And the first one is obviously very topical at the moment, Guy. And what appealed to you when purchasing Winks as a yearling? What type and style of horse was she? Uh, she was a slower maturing filly. She uh, looked like she'd always furnish a little bit as a later two-year-old and early three-year-old, which she probably did. And um, we were lucky that she started to carry condition once she got to Queensland as a three-year-old. And then as an older horse, she was actually very robust and carried plenty of condition. Just an additional one to that from me. Have you seen Winx's, um Piero filly in the flesh? Yes, I have. I've seen her a couple of times at Coolmore and I think we discussed it earlier in the sale. You know, she's probably going to be a filly that's going to be suited to be sold at Easter. We're just given the extra three or four months will make a difference to her presentation as, as a yearling. Mitch's second question, Captain, is that if you could have one share in any stallion in the world, which bull would it be? Um, well, I would have had a share in Galileo because he stood for the most money. He stood for a hell of a long time and the return on investment would have been absolutely amazing. Right now, Captain, do you think that Frankel can potentially end up being the greatest stallion of all time? Uh, I think he can do very, very well. But, you know, when you're talking about uh, stallions like Galileo in previous times, they dominated all fields. You know, they dominated the two-year-olds, they dominated the stayers, they dominated the sprinters, they dominated the fillies and mares races. So, you know, like Frankel's amazing, but he's still got a long way to go. And... At the moment, Frankel's probably in a time where there's a little bit of competition with Wooden Bassett and Kingman and horses like that, Siuni. So, you know, he's not going to completely dominate the whole spectrum of the racing industry. The final question this morning, Captain's from Craig, and he says, how long does a young stallion have to succeed before they lose their commercial appeal to the market? So, basically, horses will sell very well at first season. They'll sell 
a little bit under its second season unless they've had a very early precocious two-year-old. And then the next two or three years will be sort of spent treading water and either after that they'll become very, very good or they'll become just another stallion. I've got, I've got one for captain. Melbourne Cup captain, Vorben, $5, Solcom $9, with Bet365, Desert Hero, 12 Goldman, 13 Break up the Japanese star. They tell me we'll win the Caulfield Cup at 13 Francesca Guardi at 13 Luna Flair at 15 Just fine at 15 The weights were out. Gold Trip's got to carry 58 and a half. He's at $17. Will it be a, a local victory or an international victory? Well, Vorban's has looked amazing, as you saw at Royal Ascot, Gareth. Yes. And I know 55 kilos doesn't sound a lot, but it takes a pretty good horse to carry 55 kilos and win. That's as much as they could give him because they couldn't count as three Group 1 jumping races. So I think it, I don't think it's completely just the one-horse affair. And I've seen it year in, year out when people think horses are overlined in the Melbourne Cup. It's never quite as easy as they think, is it? No. Desert Hero representing King Charles. So if he is, comes out for William Haggis. Hey? Is he coming, though? Well, I think he's a chance. I think he's going into quarantine. And he's getting all of the the CT scans that he needs to to um, pass before he gets here. So he's no he's not a hundred percent, but I think they're thinking about it. I reckon he would be better than fifty fifty at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's probably good advertising to have the king to have a runner, yeah. and he might come out next year. With the Melbourne Cup from a breeding perspective, Captain, do you think the days are gone where we'll see an Australian bred winner of the Melbourne Cup? But um, further to that, you've got a Russian Camelot that could potentially change that um, standing there at Widden Stud. Yeah, a lot of water to go under the bridge between having foals and having a winner of a Melbourne Cup, though, Jackson, isn't there? Yeah, that's a good point there. At least it's um, trending in the right direction. We're seeing some more staying blood or that middle distance blood you know, in the staying ranks. You've got stay to rest up there at Newgate Farm, which is uh, a good thing. We had a lot of speed there for a long time in the stallion ranks. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean... Uh... It'll be interesting to see, you know, if we do have another Australian bred winner of the Melbourne Cup, but I don't, I don't think it's completely out of the out of the way. I've got my philosophies on the Melbourne Cup. I think we need to have the Adelaide Cup, Brisbane Cup, Perth Cup need to be free entry into the Melbourne Cup, and we need to start to change the narrative a little bit from the Melbourne Cup because these import horses, we just don't have a grasp on them, and and the Everest has taken over as the. The, the race for Australia regarding the, the narrative. Um, that's my two bobs worth. Now, Guy, what's the cap- yes. What's the captain's pick? Shit, it's not that easy really, is it? Um... And I tell you what, folks, when, when we had an ad break, he was telling me he's got a couple of really nice two-year-olds, and I, will, and I promise you, because you're our family here, I will get that out of him <laughs> eventually. Yeah. I'll be more than happy to share once a, once I've been out in the public eye, Gareth. You know, I don't want people running off buying their dams and that sort of thing, you know. Oh, but, yes. Uh, uh, Jackson will be straight onto that with his people in Melbourne. Uh, I'll have to sell the blue point my, first. Yeah, my, uh, my tip of the week. I don't think I've got one this week, Gareth. All right, that's right. Hey, we, we don't have to force it. We don't have to force it. Um, Golden Rose Day, Underwood Stakes Day in Melbourne, so it's another terrific weekend. And footy finals just get on the Lions. I think the Giants will upset Collingwood. The Lions will win. And in the NRL, Captain, the Melbourne Storm will cause one of the biggest upsets to defeat Penrith. 
and your Warriors will get beaten by the Broncos? Uh, some right, some wrong. I think you're about 50-50, but, you know, if you have four picks in footy games, you're going to get half right and half wrong, Garrett. So basically state of... Uh, state of play there and we'll just turn the page and have a look at the results next week and see how you get on but it was interesting to see uh the good horse from hong kong turn up in quarantine this week wasn't it yeah romantic warrior it's a it depends but depending, depending like on who off you, the air with his gum boots on yeah <laughs> depending on who you ask some say he's over the line in the cox plate others say that mm, he, they're like he's not as good as they think he is um it's a difficult one to line up for mine. Well, I think it's, you know, the the lack the lack of food intake's a little bit of a worry, Gareth. They tell me that Mr. Shum's just a worry. He, he's a worry anyway. So sometimes he he's a perfectionist. So sometimes he can like, you know, a bit like you guy with this podcast, um, that you're on my back if I say something wrong or I've got a, an opinion that doesn't quite fit your your philosophies, and I think that's what Mr. Shum's like with the the, the food and, and the like. So he he, he likes to um, make sure that everything is right. Yeah, definitely, and you have to when you travel a horse. You need them to be eating. But I think back on my topic about the about the gumboots. Why can't Jackson head off to the Nike shop and get some SEN sneakers for those those couple of grooms with that romantic warrior? We'll look after him. We'll get him an SEN shirt, SEN cap, and we'll uh, deck them out as well. Need some Guy at Moldcaster bloodstock caps there as well. Would be nice. Yeah, we might get some merchandise made up of Guy. Um, I'll let me think about it. I've got some. I've got a couple of photos that I might be able to print on a T-shirt. I'll be uh, watching Tuesday with Terry next week, and we'll hopefully see all the SEN guy, uh, gear on the people out there at the Werribee Quarantine Station. Yep. Um, Dan Cover, your mate, was terrific, I thought, yesterday on, on um, Tuesday with Terry on Racing.com. He's a talent, Cobby, isn't he? He's a talent. Hey, it's always a pleasure, Captain. You have a wonderful week, mate, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, Gareth. Thanks, Jackson. Enjoy your week. Thanks, Thanks Captain. You. G'day. Thank you, Jack. Have a wonderful week. Thanks, Gareth. And that is the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast with the Captain Guy Moldcast. I'm Gareth Hall. Thanks for your company. Have a wonderful week and looking forward to ne- uh, next week already.